Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives. Amen. And this has been tough, right? I mean, today, more than any other week, I don't know why, it just feels harder that we're not together. It's been really fun, though, to kind of get your emails. I just got an email from the Bechtels, say, Trish and Eric, and maybe Rachel, if you're allowed out of exile uh, in the basement quarantine. Uh, It's hard. And and I, I was thinking about the reason why this has been so hard in light of last week's sermon on the resurrection. We had those three Ps, remember, about the resurrection, that it's um, physical and that it's personal and that there's a perspective. Uh, The next couple weeks, we'll actually kind of have a mini sermon series on those three Ps. And this week, of course, is the physical. And the reason why this setting is so hard for us is because it is the absence of the physical. He is not here, right, is what we heard on Easter Sunday. And This morning, you are not here, even though Kermit the Frog is in the back there and giving me a little bit of a stink eye, you're not here. It's alien. It's not right. And frankly, this sense of isolation, this sense of even uselessness and a lack of community is the closest, frankly, to be absolutely totally truthful about this. What we are feeling right now, this separation, is the closest I hope any of us ever come to hell. Hell is life apart, physically apart, separated from God and from one another. Physical distance without community or fellowship is hell. And that's why today, A conversation about the bodily resurrection matters. This shapes how we meet today and it shapes how we will come together. It shapes what we think as a foretaste of what is yet to come, the good things that God has in store for you. Further, the the physical resurrection, the bodily resurrection is one of those core Christian doctrines. It is one of those things that you cannot say, I am a Christian and not believe in. This is uh, worth turning the volume up to 11 on. You should believe in the resurrection. It is the core doctrine. Paul says, unless the resurrection happened, our faith, our preaching is in vain. It is not in vain. There are a lot of things in our church, the global Christian church, that we can disagree on. I'll even go so far as to say that we can disagree on adult versus infant baptism. We can disagree on pews versus chairs. We have pews at Concordia, for some of you that haven't been here yet. We can disagree on red wine or white wine, grape juice, uh, if you want to be like that. We can disagree on even a couple books in the Bible, whether or not they should be in the Bible. But we cannot disagree on the core doctrine of the resurrection. Because it matters. It doesn't just matter whether or not Jesus rose, but it indicates whether or not you and I will rise. And so as we look through this conversation, these verses, these passages on the resurrection that we just had, I want to just have three kind of main talking points. The first is that in the resurrection, God gathers with us fully 
and we gather together completely. There are no secrets in the resurrection. There are no doubts, no dark places. There is no hiding. It is all light. Early on in my ministry, uh, when I was working at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Spokane Valley, Washington, uh, I had met this young man, a uh, guy that was not that much younger than me, and I was pretty much a kid. Uh, and by the time he'd gotten to us, he was in a pretty bad spot in life. He was from uh, some little dusty small town in central Washington, and he had gotten some parking tickets. He said the local sheriff had it out for him. He'd gotten these parking tickets and didn't have the money to pay for them. And so if you know anything about the legal system, once you're on the radar, you kind of stay on the radar. So he didn't pay his parking tickets. And then he gets this notice that his driver's license has been suspended. And he's got a court warrant, court-ordered warrant, out for his arrest. And he's got a a court date set. And he's got to appear. Well, he was terrified because he didn't have the money for the parking tickets. And I kid you not, he told me he thought he was going to go to federal prison. It's not how that works. I didn't know that. But by the time he got to us, he'd been on the lam. He had left that town, seriously, gone to the Greyhound bus station in the middle of the night, used an alias, a fake name, to to ride the bus from this little town up to Spokane, had rented an apartment that he could only pay cash for, that they wouldn't do a background check, got a job that paid him under the table as a cook because he was so afraid of background checks. This kid was in tough shape. So he comes to our church and we start talking and he's involved in the ministries there. And I finally asked, why are you working these terrible jobs? And he tells me this whole long story and we get him hooked up with uh, a, an attorney that was a member of our church. This guy agrees to do it pro bono. He drives to this little town, goes to the county court, waits in line, goes to pull this kid's records. And I kid you not, there was nothing there. Either uh, in a database transfer, his records had been deleted or somebody had shuffled the papers around or they had just forgotten or somebody sneezed on the paperwork and it smeared the ink and it was all gone, but it didn't exist. The guy thought maybe this kid had been erased from the database completely. So he went down to vital records and sure enough, his birth certificate was still there. So he existed, but he existed as a free man. And he didn't know it. And the reason why he didn't know it is because he never showed up. He never showed up for court. We come to the church. We log on because we need to know, we need to physically hear what the outcome of our salvation is. The resurrection tells us the outcome of our faith. There's all these marks in our world that may be working for and against us. But in the resurrection, we find out that, well, Jesus showed up to court for us and took everything. More than that, there's no memory. There's no records of us doing anything ever wrong. The resurrection is a physical moment where we stand before God. And he says, good to have you here. What brings you in? The resurrection is physical. And I want to read this to you from John chapter 5, verse 25. This is how physical it is. Jesus says, Amen, amen, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Absolution is physical. It is linked to us hearing and seeing God say, you shall live. It is linked with the sharing of peace. In church on Sunday mornings, we go through confession and then absolution. And immediately after that, we turn around and we all say, God's peace to you. We have a fancy word for this in our church body. It's called the office of the keys. The keys as in the the keys to the heaven and the office is the officer, the person who holds those keys. We are the priesthood of all believers. So each of you, the spirit comes to you and gives you the power to turn the key. But as a church, what we have done to formalize this, to make it real, is you, the priesthood of all believers, have conferred those keys. You've made me the key holder. So I stand in front of you and I say, therefore, by the command and authority of Christ, I forgive you your sins. Christ gave this power to the church. The church confers it upon me and I steward that gift. But I want you to know you still have that gift. You have the gift to open the gates of hell. You have the gift to open the gates of heaven. The reality, though, too, I want to be clear about this, is that neither of us make this happen. We do not make the forgiveness of sins. We are giving it over. We are forgiving, forgiving, or giving forth God's graceful work in us. That is who we are. As the keepers of the keys, we are just opening the door. And God has done all the work. And there's a warning for us here in John. There's a warning that we must also be prepared to practice the retention and warning of sins. In the early church, probably actually for the first 1700 years of the church, when we would practice confession and absolution as a church, there was the moment where we confessed. There was the moment then where the pastor would absolve, but there was also involved in that a binding where the pastor would say for those who are unrepentant, who have no faith, who do not trust these words or do not believe in them. I bind unto you today the sins which you have confessed and not confessed. Obviously we've left that out because it makes us all a little uncomfortable, myself included. But it is something we should consider. Like my friend who didn't ever go to hear that he'd been absolved. We too should be ready to warn and remind people that sin is real and that it's very easy to be forgiven. We can't give up this act of binding. I don't really like it, but I'm pretty convinced that the reason why we can't give it up is because there are no rugs in heaven. That is to say that you can't sweep anything under the rug. You should see Jody's face right now. She looked at me like rugs in heaven. No, sweeping, it's a whole thing. Yeah, we must physically confront our conflicts as Christ did. 
our God has always found ways for us to physically confront conflict. If you think about the Old Testament, right? Uh, They build the temple or the tabernacle. Right? And it's this roving tent that's supposed to travel around with the nation of Israel wherever they're going. And God meets with Moses in that place. He finds a, a physical place to meet and deal with the sins of his people. It's the tent of meeting is what it's called. And it's meant to mitigate conflict. And then if you look at John chapter 1, how does it begin? It says says that Jesus came to dwell among us. And you know this word already. I've said it a thousand times. But that came to dwell among us is actually the Greek word for pitching a tent. God came and dwelt and pitched a tent among us. He physically dealt with our conflict. And he did it in Jesus. Jesus closes the gap between the spiritual and the physical. And that's the next point that I want to talk to you about to this morning. In the resurrection, the spiritual is completely physical. And the physical is completely spiritual. Right now, uh, in the conflict in our lives, because of sin, there is a separation between our souls and our bodies. Paul has that great long diatribe that nobody ever really understands where he says, what I wish to do, I do not do. And what I do want to do, I do not want to do. What? He's saying, there's something not right within me. But there are moments in the church where we are completely and utterly passive and God does something that unifies our spirits and our bodies and our minds. A great example of that is baptism. Those little babies, man, when I hold them, they can fight and try to get away, but I got a pretty good forearm. They're not going to get away. And Ashley and Dakota, when you guys have your kiddo, Uh, I hope you'll bring him to our church so that we can baptize that child because that child will be passive in salvation. In the water and the word being spoken over that child in and through conferring God's spirit, unifying that child with the church and with Christ himself. The body and the soul should be linked They should be linked. If you go to 1 Peter 1.4, there's a passage here that we read earlier. It says, there's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, our bodies perish, but our souls are imperishable and they are kept waiting to be reunited with a glorious body. That is the hope of the resurrection. That this thing that is literally falling apart, maybe some of us faster than others, will one day be raised imperishable and perfect. See, resurrection acts are physical acts. Spiritual acts are physical acts. Jesus (sighs) breathed on the disciples. No masks. He breathes on the disciples. There is no distance. There is no safe space. The resurrection is as intimate and vulnerable as it gets. 
and we as a church fall off the horse in one of two ways. We either put too much emphasis on the spiritual or too much emphasis on the physical. Too much emphasis in the, the spiritual says that what we have doesn't really matter as bodies. It just says that if all that matters is actually just the spirit within us, then that leads us to hedonism. And we can do whatever we want with our bodies. Leads to degradation. And you've seen churches like this. Um, I think there's a reason, frankly, why American Christians really are not all that healthy of a people. Because we've got this sort of Gnostic notion that all that matters is the spiritual. But God put us in flesh for a reason. The other way that we can fall off from the spiritual is to think that only the thing that matters is the physical. And too much emphasis on the body leads to pantheism. That all of reality is divine. That everywhere you look, God is somehow living in that chair. Which makes it very hard to function because you want to sit in that chair. And Well, you really want to sit on God? And it leads to this harder question. If everything is divine, if the rocks and the wind and the rain and the hail and the tornadoes and the hurricanes are divine, then why is this so hard and why is God so mad at me? You see, Christianity says that everything attests to the divine. Like our psalm does. But not everything is divine. They all point us to the maker. This is important. If you uh, have your Bibles, you can look at Romans chapter 8. And I've got these verses for you, I think. Romans 8, 22 to 25 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Until now, Paul says, until now, everything had been groaning. But what's changed? Well, what's changed is that the cross and the grave are empty. Jesus is alive. And so while we still have these kind of post-childbirth thoughts and pains, and while we still groan, there is hope. Jesus rose bodily. He still had the spirit with him. You will rise bodily. And you will have the spirit with you. The resurrection resolves all doubt. It gives us hope, as Paul says. In the resurrection, there is the resolution of doubt. And that's the third and final point for this morning. Resolution comes in the resurrection. I've got this great doubting Thomas passage, right? And I've got the, I want to read those verses to you again. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. 
do not disbelieve, a pistis in Greek, but believe, pistis, have faith. What I love about this resolution to Thomas's doubt is that Jesus doesn't show up and show him a perfect body or what we would think of as perfect. Jesus shows up. He doesn't show him some new miracle where he takes the wine that's on the table and turn it into jelly beans. Jesus shows him the doubts of the world. He shows him his own blemishes what we would consider flaws. He shows how he has redeemed those and made those marks of salvation. Doubt is an inability to see the spirit as physically linked to us. See, the scars of doubt are proof that you and I believe. We can't doubt something that we have rejected. Doubt is evidence that we believe in something. So I would say, if you have doubts about the resurrection or doubts about anything, make your faith whole because your doubts are a sign that God's spirit is linked to you. Until then, until the resurrection, we will all have small, minor doubts. Some of us will have big ones. And that's because we live in a fallen world. We live with the scars of doubt. But in the resurrection, those scars of doubt will be the scars of salvation. There's this uh, question that comes up, because especially today we're talking about the physical, the physical aspect of the resurrection. And uh, you can't help but notice that the disciples were inside and the doors were locked and Jesus still is somehow able to get in, right? That doesn't make sense. How do you get in through the door when it's locked if Jesus is physical and not a ghost? I never knew this until at my last congregation, I kid you not, I worked with a guy. I had an elder that worked at UC Berkeley and his doctoral advisor was Glenn Seaborg, Manhattan Project, nuclear physicist, won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, this guy had written papers with Glenn Seaborg. And Glenn Seaborg invented iodine-131. Anybody that's ever had their thyroid nuked, Glenn Seaborg is the guy that did that, uh, invented that. In fact, there's this great story that uh, my elder used to tell where Glenn Seaborg gets called into the Oval Office. He'd conferred with like eight presidents in a row, everybody from like, I don't know, Truman or one of those, all the way up until Clinton. He'd met with every one of those presidents and and been their nuclear energy guy. Seaborg goes into the office and maybe it's Reagan. I don't know who it is. And Seaborg goes, I just saved your wife's life. See, the president's wife had just had radioactive iodine therapy done. What a way to introduce yourself to the president. I just saved your wife's life. No big deal. Anyways, this elder. I asked him about this. How does Jesus get through the door? And he goes, oh, that's so easy. It's physics. I was like, well, I'm a pastor, not a physicist. He said, in in the resurrection, you're no longer bound 
See, you're completely physical, but every particle of your matter now has every option available to it. You can exist as a human, fully physical human, but your matter can sort of, well, now that it has every option available to it, every part of you can sort of dissolve and mesh and go through the door that also is just matter that can also be dissolved and just travel through. He goes, it's very easy to be physical in the resurrection. That's not a problem at all. And I'm sure I'd explain this extremely poorly. So if you've got questions, talk to Bob Olson because, well, he's smart. No. In the resurrection, all of our doubts are resolved. First Peter 1.8 explains it like this. This is a little more my speed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The love of God reveals all things. Not just our love for him, but his love for us. Though you not have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. We believe in him because God loves us. He's poured out his love into us and thus we can see him. And I see him when I see you. There are still questions. I mean, if you look at John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, but the, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Faith in Christ is seeing with the heart. These things are written so that you and I may believe. What's interesting is that John's gospel is probably written against the background of people that had seen the risen Lord and still did not believe. They had seen all the facts, all the witnesses, all the testimony. They had seen it, but they still didn't believe it. Faith is a gift from God. And we can see everything and still not believe it. Uh, for those of you that haven't been to our beautiful little church, you should know that we're across the street from Washington State University, go Cougs. And we're about 500 yards maybe from the football stadium, I would say. And during football season, on game nights, there's a cannon that goes off every time WSU scores. So on Friday nights, and usually, unfortunately for me and for the people that have to listen to me the next morning, we're up pretty late because the cannon is boom, boom, boom every time WSU scores. We try to go to bed early simply because these last couple of years they've been pretty good and had some good wins. But it's interesting, uh, as we go to bed at night and we're counting the cannons go off, we don't check the score. So we know one side of the equation. We know what WSU has put up on the board. Yet, I still have doubt. They could be up 48 points, which is a lot in football. But I still have that word, that phrase that they might coog it. I have that doubt in my mind until inevitably the last one when Natalie gets up or one of the boys wakes up with the last cannon and the fireworks go off. I have doubt until that moment when Natalie comes back and says, Cougs won, we can go to bed. 
And I say, hallelujah. See, we never have all the evidence we need. We never have all the evidence we need until it's over, until the end, until after the fact. The church, for its first 500 years, lived every moment thinking that Jesus was coming back exactly then. The prayer of the church for a very long time was just one word, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Maybe it's time for us to bring that prayer back. I mean, this is great. I love you. I miss you. But come quickly, Lord. Fill this church with your glory. Fill this house. Bring your people here. There have been questions these last weeks. And it's kind of just been a a little, uh, I don't know, if it was Twitter, it'd be little tweets. But a little smattering, just a little buzz that's been going around. People have been asking the question about what it looks like in this church when we can gather again. Particularly the question has been, will you show up? Will the church show up? And the truth is, that is a bad question. That was never actually the question. The question that we should always be asking ourselves is, will God show up? And the answer is always yes. In this community, in this place, with whoever happens to gather here, whether it's myself and Jody and Kermit the Frog and Woody and Buzz Lightyear and the other Woody from Snoopy and a bear and an owl and a couple bears and a, what is that? Scooby-Doo, I can't see because the lights are in the way. Whoever is in the room, God always shows up. He always shows up in his word and in his sacraments. He physically unites himself to us, to his people. You see, I have zero doubt that we will fail as individuals. That is one thing I am absolutely confident of. I am also absolutely confident of the fact that our lack of showing up will not change anything for God's plan. There is with Without a doubt, an assurance that we will go to the lake this summer, that we will get sick and stay in bed, that we will sleep in, that we just won't feel like it. And so, there will be one more spot in the pews empty. But, Concordia Lutheran Church, the body of Christ, the eternal church, will always show up. And always bring forth, give forth the testimony of God's grace until the end of time. So I have to ask you, are you ready for God to show up? This week, resolve to be ready. Be ready for the appearance of God in his word and his world. God is coming to bring us together again. He will show up. I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll be there when he shows up with or without a mask. Amen.